Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. So we're going to finish up the story of Samson today. We've been going through uh, the book of Judges over the last number of weeks. Uh, and the whole theme of the book of Judges is these different uh, people are raised up by God to be deliverers for Israel. And, of course, each of these Judges stories uh, has a lot to say about the deliverer that God is going to raise up, the final deliverer, Jesus Christ, who delivered us from sin and death. And each of these stories has a lot to say about the fallen state of humanity as well. And particularly during this Lent season, the time between Ash Wednesday and Easter morning, this is a season in the Christian calendar year when we are meant to be reflecting and and focused on the fallen state of humanity. And uh, and the emphasis of that being our, our common fallen state together. We all are fallen. We all are flawed. We all are human. And so in these stories of Judges, we are meant to see a bit of ourselves. We're meant to uh, maybe have our eyes opened up to blind spots that we have within ourselves, or, or we're meant to see in that story a theme that ties into, oh, yeah, I could, I could see myself falling in that same way as well. And so hopefully as we finish the story of Samson today, uh, you'll be connecting with that material uh, in a meaningful way. So I remember... Uh, the the first exposure I probably had to the story of Samson was from the picture Bible that was in the late 70s. It was a uh, uh, comic book version of the Bible. Now, I'm not talking about the newer comic book versions of the Bible. I mean, that stuff has exploded ever since kind of the, the manga uh, comic book phenomenon. I'm talking about the old 1970s one. Now, are any of you familiar with the picture Bible? A few of you. Oh, you brought it today, David? Nice job. <laughs> that's great. Um, that's great. I, uh, I don't want to show it, but somehow I got, I got kicked off of the slides. So whoever's doing the slides, you're going to have to help me out with these. Uh, uh, as I've been reading the story of Samson, in my mind, like Samson is the picture Bible version of Samson. And so I have... Uh, I've had these images, just different images from the story in my mind. And one of those images uh, that left the strongest impression in my mind is the story of Samson uh, carrying away the gates of Gaza. And so uh, thanks to David Alexia, I have a few shots from the picture Bible for these. Uh, It should be there. Yeah, there we go. So uh, one evening, Samson visits the Philistine city of Gaza. That's Samson in a disguise. He's wrapped up in that cloak. And he's telling the guard at the gate that he's come to see a friend. And uh, the guy lets him in. And so while Samson is in the city of Gaza, the Philistines realize that he's there. And they decide that they're going to lock the gate and keep him in. And so after Samson uh, finishes his business in Gaza, he's ready to leave town. And and he uh, goes to the gate and finds it locked. And he asks the question, who's going to help me open this gate? And then he says, I'll help myself. And... This is, I don't know why, it's funny how certain things from your childhood stick in your mind. Like, this picture of Samson with his, you know, back all muscly and holding the gate up, like, this has been in my mind this entire series. Um, 
And so he, he carries it away. And of course, the Philistine soldiers are, are uh, you know, the, the commanders are yelling, but they're thinking, who can stop a man who can carry away the gates like that? And so they're hiding back in the background as chickens and Samson carries everything away. And you look at this hero. You, you look at that guy, and as a child, reading this story, I, I thought to myself, man, there is a man that I would love to be when I grow up. And this really points to the two, uh, the two different um, stories that can be told through the story of Samson, or two different interpretations that we might have. For one of them, it's like, there's the hero. There's the guy that we should all aspire to be. He's the guy who can help himself when he finds himself in trouble. There's a man who can take care of himself. And the other story, of course, is a story that's very, very different. Um, When I was a kid reading the picture Bible, Samson was the coolest guy. He was strong. He was capable. He was able to handle all of his own business. And if I saw any vices in Samson whatsoever... It was that he fell in love with this woman, Delilah, and, and, and he was blinded by love. And being blinded by love, although it might get you in trouble at times, it's not really much of a vice in our society. In fact, many of us uh, may find ourselves living through our teenage years and 20s just hoping someday to be blinded by love. It's almost seen as a virtue. Uh, of course, this mindset, this idea about Samson becomes completely disrupted if you actually read the story of Samson in Scripture. Uh, Let's turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 16, and we'll just briefly read the story of Samson uh, headed to the gates of Gaza. Chapter 16 starts off with this, this line. It says, One day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. This was not in the picture Bible. He went in to spend the night with her, And the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gates. They made no move during the night, and they said to themselves, at dawn, we'll kill him. So Samson went to the city. He saw a prostitute. He decided to go and spend the night with her. Um, And the Philistines realize he's there, and while Samson's hanging out with the prostitute, uh, they surround the city, they've got, they lock the gates, and they're there, and they're going to trap him. Uh, verse 3, it says, But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, he took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and he tore them loose, bar and all, and he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, as an adult reading a story, right away... This, you realize this isn't a superhero story. This isn't the story of, of one of the Bible's heroes. I mean, it's filled with all of these troubling details. I mean, one, Samson's not just there to see a friend. He has an ulterior motive. Um, two, here he is empowered by God to deliver the people of Israel. But instead of that, he's once again choosing to play a slave to his lustful appetite for women, and to his carnal values. And so this story, like the other stories of Samson we've visited in previous weeks, story after story is a reminder of how far humanity falls short from the destiny that God has called them to. The original audience reading the story of Samson is meant to come away with the the main point being, hey, deliverance has yet 
to happen on the part of our people. Even here in the Gates of Gaza story, what's the outcome? So uh, we've got another feat of strength. Samson carries away the gates. Everyone's impressed. But who's helped? Who's actually saved in the end? I mean, Samson saved himself from the hand of the Philistines that wanted to kill him. But nobody's delivered by his act of carrying the gates out of Gaza. Nothing gets better for the people of Israel. And he's continuing to deceive himself with his own state of living. Sometimes we think that the best thing, the best thing that could happen with our sin is that we get away with it. And so Samson goes to the city of Gaza, lives, makes some sinful choices, and then he gets away with it. And sometimes I think as we wrestle with our own sin, we think, man, the best thing I could ever do is get away with it. And yet as Samson walks away, free from the Philistines, he is far from a free man. He's continually giving himself over to this sexual sin and, and lust for women. And anyone who's giving themselves over to sin is not free at all. And all the while, Samson is missing the mark of what God has called him to be. Remember, it was said before he was born, he was meant to be someone who would lead the way in delivering Israel from their oppressors, from the Philistines. And yet here again, we have a deliverer who has yet to deliver anyone. We're going to finish this story today. In Judges chapter 16, verse 4, it says, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek. Sorek means fruitless or empty. This woman's name was Delilah. Verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to Delilah and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we can tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us is going to give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That sounds like a lot to me. So Samson falls in love with this woman, Delilah. The Philistine leaders come to the woman and they say, we need to know the secret of his strength. Can you do a little bit of research for us? Will you tell us the secret of his strength? We will all pay you. We'll bribe you to betray your lover. Delilah thinks this sounds like a reasonable arrangement. So she goes to Samson and she says, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And as the story progresses, she actually asks him this question three times. And three times, Samson gives her kind of bogus things. He says, you can tie me with brand new rope that's never been tied, you know, never been used before, and that'll take away my strength. You can, you can tie me with uh, fresh bowstrings. I don't know how they fell for that one. Um, and, and then he says, the last one he gives him is, he says, you, what you need to do is you need to weave some fabric hair extensions into my lovely locks of hair. And uh, that will take away my strength. And so three times, Delilah does exactly what he says needs to be done to take away his strength. And uh, in the meantime, she's colluded with the Philistines. They, they've got some soldiers hiding in her home. And each time she gets Samson restrained, uh, she would say to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he would break the bonds and it would turn out he was just as strong as he ever was before. Now, it's unclear in the story if when he breaks those bonds, if he's aware that the Philistines are in the house or if they're like hiding in the broom closet waiting for, you know, waiting to see if it really worked or not. But anyhow, this happens three times. And, and so Delilah surmises through this process that Samson is lying to her. 
Now, why it is that Samson never surmises the treachery that's inside of Delilah's heart to want to to capture him, I, I don't know. But he's clearly blinded by love. He's blinded by his infatuation for her. He's blinded by his desire to be with her, his lust for her. After the third unsuccessful attempt that Delilah has, she's whining at Samson. She's weeping. She's saying, you don't really love me. You're lying to me. Um, I can think of all kinds of retorts that Samson could have said to put her in her place, but he just sort of bears her whining all the way until the point the scriptures say that he was sick unto death. At this point, Samson, with his whining girlfriend that's making him sick unto death, you would think, find a new girlfriend. In fact, any of you that are in a relationship with someone and it's not sealed with a ring and vows before God, if they are making you sick unto death, that's a red flag. That's a big red flag. But instead of breaking up with her, in verse 17, Samson tells her everything. He says, no razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. And if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Now, I know what you're thinking. As weak as which other man? Because some men are super, super strong and other men are super, super weak. We don't know. But Samson says he would be weak as any other man. Now, it's interesting because here at this point in the story, Samson seems to think that all he's holding on to is the hair thing. If you've been tracking over the last couple of weeks, you know there's three different vows that a Nazarite's supposed to be following, and we're pretty sure he broke the first one with the not touching anything from the fruit of the vine thing when he was wandering in the vineyards. We know that he broke the second one, the not touching any dead people because he stole the robes off of the people that he, the Philistines that he killed, um, and took honey out of the carcass of a lion. Um, and so in Samson's mind, he knows he's already broken two of the rules. And he's like, my strength is still here because at least I haven't cut my hair yet. At least I haven't cut my hair yet. He really feels that the uncut hair is the only thing he can point to of why it is that he's still freakishly strong. I just, I want to highlight that Samson's confidence then, his faith is set in his own ability to follow the rules. And his, his mindset or his conception of how well he's doing at following the rules is pretty subjective, right? I mean, he's sort of justified everything that he's done up to this point by saying, at least I haven't cut my hair yet. That tends to be how we feel about ourselves when we're trying to measure ourselves on following the rules. We're pretty quick to forget all of the things that we have done wrong and hold on to the one thing that we've done right and hold that as justification for why we should be entitled to this or to that or that kind of treatment or this kind of treatment. We tend to be really quick to give ourselves as long a leash as possible and yet when we look at others, it's pretty rare that we say of them, well, at least they haven't physically stabbed me in the back with a dagger yet. Instead, we think, I can't believe they did this. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they did this. But when we talk about ourselves, we go, at least I haven't 
cut my hair yet. I, I had this thought this week that if we're saying to ourselves at any point in time, well, at least I haven't, that should be like a trigger for us. And we go, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure that my confidence is in the wrong thing right now. I'm pretty sure that my focus is in the wrong thing. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to follow this statement with some kind of illegitimate excuse for me to do something that I probably should rethink and not do. For Samson, what this statement really betrays is that his confidence is not in the identity that God gave him. It's not in this thing that happened. I mean, think about it. Delilah asked, what's the secret of your strength? And if he was going to spill all of that, he could take a moment to talk about who the living God of Israel is and how this God chose him before he was born to be a deliverer. And he could say, and here's the crazy thing about God. He can enable his people to do things that are miraculous, that no man should be able to do. And every time that I've lifted my hand against the Philistines, it is this God who has given me the power to be successful. And yet instead, he says, I've got long hair. If it were to be cut, I would be toast. His confidence is not in his conviction that the Lord is with him, but his confidence is in all the things or the one thing that he thinks he's doing that in some way obliges the Lord to stand on his side and be with him. Samson's put his hope in his deeds, and he's credited his strength to his deeds. And in this moment, he speaks uh, that out for the first time. My strength is coming from my religious commitment to not cutting my hair. And in this moment, we're learning. His words are revealing what his faith is really in. Samson's faith is not in God and God's commitment to him. Samson's faith is in himself and whatever he thinks his commitment is to doing what God called him to do. I had this thought that in this moment, it's as if Samson is publicly denying the Lord. Rather than giving the Lord credit for what God has called him to do and who God's created him to be, Samson is denying that God has any part of it and talking about himself. Anyhow, with this information, Delilah lulls him to sleep. Uh, someone comes in to cut his hair while he's sleeping. And, and, and then with the haircut, the, the person restrains him, so maybe they tie him up with some of that leftover new rope or something. And then Delilah says in verse 20, like she said before, Delilah says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And then he wakes from his sleep and he thinks, thinks to himself, I'm going to go out just like I did before. I'm going to shake myself free. But then it says, the, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. In this moment, he had no idea that the God who had been empowering him for these crazy feats of strength had left him. Honestly, based on what he said earlier, I don't know that he was ever aware the Lord was with him. It seems that his mind is, you know, kind of warped in his perception of reality. He's unaware of God's presence. And I think what a, what a tragedy it can be when we as people are unaware of whether God is present or whether he has somehow left. You know, this, this idea that God leaves him is kind of that reminder in Scripture that, yes, God is patient, yes, he is kind, but God is not an enabler. God doesn't stick around to play our games forever. There comes a point for each of us when God says, the best thing for you in this season is not that you would get away with it again, but it's that you would be caught and confronted in your sin. 
And this is that moment for Samson. The moment when he doesn't get away with it anymore. The moment when he's caught and he's confronted. It says the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes and they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. And then they set him to grinding grain in prison. And in this moment, it just seems like Samson's done. The Philistines have removed him as a threat. Uh, they've, they've handicapped him. They've gouged out his eyes. He's blind. They've shackled him. He's, he's shackled to this grain grinding thing. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what those actually look like. But in the picture Bible, it was like this giant rock wheel that he's rolling around. And it's grinding the grain as it rolls around uh, the concrete floor. Um, Verse 22 says, but the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. That's a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, So the Philistines throw a giant victory party. Samson's a strong man in Israel. He's he's someone that has caused them all kinds of trouble. And so they throw a giant victory party in the temple of their god, Dagon. They invite thousands of people to come. And they're all there hanging out, having a party, and they say, yes, this is our God, Dagon, has delivered this man who burned all of our crops. You remember that from a couple weeks ago? This is the man who, you know, piled our, our dead, uh, multiplied our dead in the land. This is a guy who had killed thousands of them and burned all their crops. And they're like, thank goodness, this problem's done with. And they're worshiping their God, Dagon. And, and then during the feast, they say to one another, well, let's get Samson to come in and perform for us. Uh, We don't know exactly what Samson's talents were. Uh, We we do know he's a pretty good poet and a a decent songwriter from previous weeks in in reading the story, but I don't know what it is that they want him to perform. But he's invited, he's brought up from the prison, he's set on this performing stage that's among the pillars that are holding up the roof of the temple, And in verse 26, Samson says to the servant who's holding his hand, he says, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I can lean against them. Verse 27, we're told the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, Remember me, please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. It's a two-for-one deal for Samson. Interestingly, in the story of Samson, this is just the second time that he prays. The first time was when he was in the wilderness. He was thirsty. He needed water. I think that was last week's message. Uh, This is the second time he prays. And what is it that he asked God for this time? He asked for revenge for his two eyes. In this moment, he could, he could have asked for anything. I mean, he's lived God's miraculous strength in his life. He's seen what God can do to give him strength and to, to help him live. And you would imagine, I mean, if he's, got, if he's got the faith to ask for strength, he's got the faith to ask for sight, right? I mean... In one sense, a miracle is a miracle is a miracle. If God does something that defies the laws of physics and biology, I guess he does, right? And yet in this moment, Samson is blinded with this continual hunger for revenge. Never mind that in this moment he could realize, hey, 
I have been blinded. I've been grinding grain for months. I'm supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. God, restore my sight. God, help me to get out of this bondage so I can lead my people to freedom. And instead, he says, God, give me revenge for my two eyes. I was thinking about how we pray so often for the wrong things. Uh, This is uh, Spring Forward Sunday. This has been my least favorite Sunday for years. As long as I can remember, I've slept terribly on the Saturday night before Spring Forward Sunday. And so you can imagine on, on many Saturday nights over the years, I go to bed and I'm saying, Lord, just help me to sleep well. I mean, I, I, have, I have fitful dreams, stress dreams about, about church. I, I, I'm waking up constantly. Where, is the time change happened yet? Has it not happened yet? Is everyone going to show up at the right time? Are, are things going to go well? Most stressful night of the year for me. And for years, my answer to that is to ask God just to give me a good night's sleep. And for years, that prayer has gone unanswered. (laughs) Usually, you guys see the evidence of that on Spring Forward Sunday. Uh, Bags under my eyes. I'm exhausted. I got no sleep last night. I'm cranky. And then, uh, anyhow, this year, I went to bed, and I didn't pray for anything. I just went to bed like a pagan. And, And I slept great. And so I was reflecting on that this morning. I was like, man, what happened? That was really good. And I was reminded of the work that God's been doing in my heart over the course of the last seven, eight months or so, where I feel like God is changing me. He's delivering me from different forms of slavery that I've lived under, you know, performance-based personality. My value as a human being is based on how well I'm performing in my job as a pastor for the kingdom of God. And, and, And I had this thought that all those years I was asking for the wrong thing. I was asking for a good night's sleep when I should have been asking for deliverance. Lord, why do I care? whether everyone shows up an hour late to church tomorrow, including me. Would that be okay? I'm not going to get fired if I oversleep. I mean, come on. You guys, you guys wouldn't fire me for that. You're good people. All those years, I'm asking for the wrong thing. I'm saying, Lord, give me good night's sleep. Help me to preserve my sanity so that I continue to operate in the dysfunction that I've lived my life in, rather than saying, Lord, set me free. Show me. Why is it? that this one night throws me off? Why is it that one hour throws me into such a tailspin mentally? Heal my heart, heal my soul, deliver me from my sin. Samson could have asked for anything. Instead, he asked for strength. So verse 29, he reaches toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. He braced himself against them. He put his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. I think I've got a picture of it. Let's throw that up there. There you go. Look at that guy. Man, he's got more muscles drawn on his side than I knew existed. Let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all of his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all who were in it. And thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. And while Samson went out with a bang... In the end, Samson's fate is exactly the same as the people that were the oppressors. In the end, rather than living the destiny God had given him to be a deliverer of his people, Samson ended up embracing 
the destiny of the Philistines, to die judged by God. In the end, clinging to vengeance, clinging to his bitterness, he died. I mean, yes, he, he killed many, but he saved none, not even himself. And yet, even for his lack of accomplishments, God uses Samson's life. As you continue the story of the nation of Israel, by the time the next leaders are, are, are raised up in Israel, there's a man named Samuel the prophet, and there's King Saul. What we see is that no Israel isn't delivered from the Philistines. The Philistines are still the enemy there. But what we do see uh, is that Israel is now at war with the Philistines. And if you remember back in the story of Samson, we had this realization early on in the story that Israel doesn't even, they're, they're not at war with the Philistines. There's no description of that. And that God, as he, as Samson's grown, and Samson, God probably can see all the vices in his life, and it's like, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be a little different. God ends up using Samson's vices as a reason to bring up uh, conflict between Israel and the Philistines, as a reason to, to, to stir up Israel to their oppressor, to not be okay, to sit, to, instead of sitting in their oppression and saying, well, this is just life, the Philistines rule over us, I guess this is how it is, for Israel to say, enough is enough, we want to be free. And while Samson was never able to be the deliverer that God called him to be from before he was born, God did use Samson to stir up that conflict. By the time uh, Samuel and King Saul come along, we see Israel in, at war with the Philistines. And now God's people are hungry to be free from their oppression, hungry enough to fight for it. We also see in this season, God is a lot more active in, the, um, in, in judging the rulers of Israel. And so at the beginning of 1 Samuel, we see stories of God being active with the people and he's judging the corrupt leaders of Israel. So it's not just Samson who's a bad leader during this time. There's others, Eli the priest and, and his sons, and, and God is judging these corrupt leaders uh, and then he's also making the way and raising up a new deliverer. Initially, the people think their deliverer is going to be King Saul. They think the problem is we don't have a king. Everyone's doing what's right in their own lives. We need a king. And, and so God anoints a King Saul, but this man turns out to be uh, just as bad as some of the other leaders who came before him. But God, in that process, begins raising up a new leader who looks very different than the deliverers who went before him. This new leader that God raises up isn't a super special Nazarite. He's not one who's who's been set aside for a holy purpose from before he was born. In fact, he was a lowly shepherd. He wasn't the strongest man in Israel or the tallest man. He was just a young man, a youth. He wasn't even of fighting age. Israel doesn't rally around this new judge as they, or this new leader as they had in the past. In fact, he suffers decades of rejection and unjust persecution. And yet he endures that with humility and with grace. In fact, when he's faced with opportunities to strike down his oppressors, he stays his hand. He doesn't. And he waits, trusting that God is going to judge and God's going to do right. When this young deliverer was faced with one of his greatest challenges, he was facing a giant Philistine known as Goliath. He says these words. Uh, to the giant, he said, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Contrast those words with the words of Samson. The source of my great strength is that I've never cut my hair. This deliverer saw the Lord's presence and the Lord's action, the Lord's, the, the, the Lord's name, his essence. The fact that God was here, they saw he, this deliverer, who was David, the shepherd who became David the king. This deliverer saw that God was central to everything that was going on. This deliverer was called a man after God's own heart. And although David was a man as well, and David had his own flaws, what we see in the trajectory of the story of Israel is a deliverer being raised up who looks a lot more like the capital D deliverer, like the Messiah that God is promising to his people. We see if, if Samson maybe represents a significant step away, and, and probably in, in many ways the most significant step away, the most uh, exposing view at the fallenness of humanity, the next deliverer that God raises up, King David, represents a shift in that story. It represents a restoration of humanity. There's a reason that when the Messiah came, he was known as the son of David. And while Samson didn't deliver anyone, and David's king kingdom eventually fell, Again, these stories are meant to be foreshadowing the Messiah who would come. The one whose ministry of, of recon, restoration and reconciliation was prophesied from way back in Genesis, way back when humanity fell from the grace of God. This Messiah was promised, one who would come and undo all that had just been done. The one who would deliver all of humanity from that destiny of death. The one whose kingdom would be established and it would know no end. So we're reminded through these stories that God is writing a different story in humanity. And that really for each one of us, there's a choice that we have. We can, we can live the life of fallenness. We can lean into our own wisdom and our own, we can live by our own desires and our own appetites or we can follow the path of our Savior. It's interesting to me the very different results when we contrast a deliverer like Samson with a deliverer like David. And even in the midst of all that King David did wrong, and those of you who are familiar with his story know he did a lot of things wrong, but in the midst of that, that humility, that, that commitment to seeing the Lord as central in what was going on, God accomplished so much good through his life. Whereas through Samson's life, we don't see a whole lot of good. And we're people who can live uh, one way or the other. In many ways, the choice is ours and how we respond to what God is calling us to and how he's leading us. 